that's how I remember it is a sort of just like, what's wrong with me? What are we going to do about this? I want to be able to have this career. Mm-hmm. And so she went over my medical history and I just remember she had me on the table feeling my stomach, like a normal thing that doctors mm-hmm. do. And I'm just like jumping off the table because I don't like that. And mm-hmm. I, and she says, well, is this hurting you? And I was thinking like, no, it's not hurting. And, but I'm just like jumping off the table. Mm-hmm. And so afterwards she just kind of like casually, like, have you ever been evaluated for Asperger's? And this was 2012. So I was 20. And mm-hmm. I was thinking like, ha, huh, no, I actually did a report on this in high school. Um, I was huh. in AP psychology my senior year uh-huh. and I was part of a group that worked with kids with Asperger's at our school. And so I was like relatively familiar with this and thought, yeah. like, no, those kids don't go to college. Those kids don't like make eye contact. Those kids don't grow up playing sports and going to AP classes and just all the stuff I've done. So mm-hmm. I was like, huh, okay. And then I came home and started looking it up. And the more I read, the more I was like, oh, this is a thing that like I think makes sense. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. This episode is one of a series of Pursuing Health stories. Here, I feature the inspiring stories of regular, everyday people who've used lifestyle to overcome some incredible health challenges. In this week's episode, I share a conversation with Sarah Adams, who was surprised to learn at age 20 that she had Asperger's syndrome. Sarah had taken advanced classes in school, played competitive sports, attended college, and overall, she enjoyed a very happy and healthy childhood. But after receiving her diagnosis, some of the symptoms and signs of the condition she had experienced as a child finally began to make sense. In this episode, we chat about what it was like to be diagnosed with a developmental condition later in life, how CrossFit has played a role in keeping her balanced, and the importance of surrounding yourself with a community of friends and family for support. Now, before we dive into the episode, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. Now, let's get started with the episode. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm very excited to be here with you today, Sarah, and to hear your story and to learn more about you. So thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and being willing to share. Thanks. Um, So I thought let's just start with some background. We were just chatting a little bit before the podcast, um, but could you share a little bit just about what life was like growing up for you? Yeah, so I had a pretty typical childhood and I did kind of all the stuff that kids do I did sports, Girl Scouts, I went to regular school, took AP classes, you know, up into, into high school and honors. Um, I did I say Girl Scouts. And yeah. then um, I was raised Jewish and did like was involved in our temple and like did mm-hmm. religious school and Hebrew school had a bat mitzvah, like youth group, all that stuff. Um, so I kind of just had like the typical. Sounds typical like a great childhood. childhood. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Like I have a lot of good memories. That's great. And then it was sounds like shortly after maybe a couple of years after high school that you found out or that you were diagnosed with Asperger's. So can you just talk a little bit about that process? Like what led you down that path? And then looking back, were there things that um, maybe, you know, you realized from your childhood that where it was there, or maybe how it affected you? So I think I have kind of a typical like late diagnosis story. And the more I've learned about it, it's really typical in females to be like, Mm -hmm. I was 20. So that's honestly Mm -hmm. like not that old. Some Mm -hmm. people are like 
35 and their child is getting diagnosed. And that's what I've seen is kind of common yeah. with, with women. Um, I guess like the, 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 um, the, the, what is the word? The criteria. Sorry. Oh yeah. The criteria, the criteria are based on like little boys and mm-hmm. girls just are not the same at anything. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of thing. I heard your podcast about like how women aren't used in studies Mm-hmm. That other podcast you were doing with the, I think it was yeah, the Wild Health Lady. Mm-hmm. That the Wild Health Lady, yeah. How women. So anyway, it's the same kind of thing. And so, um, I think I have kind of a typical story like that where um, I was late diagnosed. So I went to college after high school. Um, I went three hours away, so I was in state, um, mm-hmm. but away from home. And I was studying kinesiology, which I was thinking of going into physical therapy. I actually ended up mm-hmm. deciding to be a teacher, which is what I do now. Um, I'm currently mm-hmm. a middle school teacher. Um, and the, so I had the summers off. And so I would, I kept getting summer jobs in high school. I had worked as a camp counselor. Um, mm-hmm. And then in the summer after high school, I worked at an overnight camp, which that was really fun. Um, so the summer of 2012, I was 20 and I was finishing, I finished my second year of college and had the summer off and I took a job at an overnight camp again. And this mm-hmm. was a camp I'd never been to, but um, I thought it'd be really fun. And I just had kind of a hard time there. Um, being a camp counselor is like 24 seven, you know, it's like being a new mom. I, mm-hmm. I would kind of compare it like that. Like nobody sleeps. Kids need you at all hours. Not even maybe a new mom. Like I think all moms, you know, are up in the mm-hmm. night with their kids. <laughs> um, and so after I was there for five weeks and they um, ended up telling, sending me home, um, it wasn't anything malicious, but it was just like, this isn't working out. Um, mm-hmm. And I was devastated because I had just changed my major to elementary education mm-hmm. and like just decided like, yes, I'm going to be a teacher. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't handle an overnight camp which now looking back, there's like little correlation between being able to handle teenagers or children at an overnight camp versus being able to instruct for six hours a day. And then they go home. It's way Mm -hmm. different. Like now, you know, I can totally handle it where they, you know, they go home at night. Mm -hmm. So I came back to my parents' house because my college, my college apartment wasn't open in the summer. Um, So I came back to my parents' house and was just spending the summer with them. And I not exactly sure how this turned out, but I went to the doctor. I didn't really have a doctor at the time because I was 20 and so I'd like mm-hmm. had a pediatrician and then, um, you know, I didn't really have like an established adult doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to the office where my mom goes and I ended up seeing a PA I'd never seen before. Um, and it was kind of just like, fix me. Like mm-hmm. I want to be able to work in a school, which now, you know, like I said, like there's at that time I saw a correlation between being able to handle an overnight camp and being able to be a teacher. And mm-hmm. now I see like, that's a limited correlation. That's a really abnormally crazy job compared to I mean teaching is crazy too but it's like a set hours and then you go Mm -hmm. um and so I was it's kind of I that's how I remember it is sort of just like what's wrong with me what are we going to do about this I want to be able to have this career Mm -hmm. and so she went over my medical history and I just remember she had me on the table feeling my stomach like a normal thing that doctors Mm -hmm. do and I'm just like jumping off the table because I don't like that and Mm -hmm. I and she says was this hurting you and I was thinking like no, it's not hurting. And, but I'm just like jumping off the table. And mm-hmm. so afterwards she just ca- kind of like casually, like, have you ever been evaluated for Asperger's? And this was 2012. So I was 20. And mm-hmm. I was thinking like, ha, huh, no, I actually did a report on this in high school. Um, I was huh. in AP psychology my senior year uh-huh. and I was part of a group that worked with kids with Asperger's at our school. And so I was like relatively familiar with this and thought, yeah. like, no, those kids don't go to college. Those kids don't like make eye contact. Those kids don't grow up playing sports and going to AP classes and just all the stuff I've done. So mm-hmm. I was like, huh, okay. And then, um, I came home and started looking it up. And the more I read, the more I was like, Oh, 
this is a thing that like I think makes sense and um mm. it started clicking one thing I was talking to my friend before this and she thought this was a funny story it said that when you wear sunglasses you feel like people can't see you and I thought mm. that's so random and that's so true like I mean obviously <laughs> like I know people can see me when I'm wearing sunglasses but it's like I'm like you feel a little protected. safer yeah. yeah like when you walk by someone like well so in college when you walk by someone I was usually walking outside so I had my sunglasses on but you're like are you supposed to wave at them are you supposed to like smile at them so if you have your eyes covered it's sort of like protected but that was yeah. one of the many things that I thought oh this does make a lot of sense um so my parents were a little bit skeptical at first thinking like what mm -hmm. are you thinking like you're doing fine we don't need to do this you're doing fine in college because I was I was in college and mm -hmm. um so over the next couple of years, I kind of pursued it a little bit, but not officially. Mm -hmm. And then um, in the spring of 2016, no, 17, spring of 2017, I was finishing my master's degree. So I had ended up deciding to finish college with a bachelor of individualized studies, which okay. is where you have enough like general ed and then you have enough undergrad or uh, lower credit. What is it called? Like the 100s and the 200s, mm -hmm. the lower level classes and enough upper level. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have them in all one concentration. So I had all these credits and I decided a little bit of gonna, everything. Yeah, I'm just going to mm -hmm. graduate. Um, and I knew too that if I was going to go into teaching that to get up to level three in New Mexico, you have to have a master's degree. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, well, I've seen a lot of people try to do this while they're teaching. And that sounds really hard to be in a graduate program while you're working. Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing my master's degree um, and my parents were able to help me through that. So that was really nice. Um, and also awesome. a family member was able to fund the tuition, which was really nice. Um, but I ended up doing my master's degree and I was finishing that up and doing student teaching. This might've been actually 16. I'm going back. It was okay. like when I was getting ready to student teach anyway, like I was Got in it. my graduate program and I was getting ready to student teach and like go into the working, like, you know, mm -hmm. I've had jobs before, but now I have like a real job, you know, grown mm -hmm. up job. adulting, adulting, <laughs> yeah, adulting. <you> know? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I decided I wanted to get like a paper evaluation because I found out that you can get accommodations at work. Mm. under ADA and I thought that's Americans I know you know but like Americans with Disabilities Act you can get accommodations at work and I thought okay I should pursue this and so my parents were like hemming like they weren't super supportive not unsupportive they were like mm -hmm. their thing the whole time especially my mom has been like I'm really glad that this is something you chose and that I didn't do for you mm -hmm. because I might look back and say like why didn't you do this when I was a kid but mm -hmm. her big thing with both my brother and me for anything that comes up with us is I'm glad you're deciding this as an adult what you want to do instead mm -hmm. of being labeled as a kid and then just having it done to you mm -hmm. um so I got a yeah so I got a this guy was called a neuropsychologist and he saw me over the course of two days and he did kind of like sort of like what I did when I tested for gifted like intelligence tests and like mm -hmm. tracing a line and like at one point he asked me like tomorrow or later today I want you to remember that these green scissors are here and tell me about them of course mm -hmm. now like I still remember the green scissors but that, <laughs> like there were just all these different yeah. little tests yeah um and so on paper, that was um, 20, so I think it was 2016. And so that was the new DSM, which is the, di I know you know about mm -hmm. for your audience, like the yes, Diagnostic please, yeah. and Statistical Manual came out in 2013. Um, and it no longer had the word Asperger's as a diagnosis you can get. Mm -hmm. um, and so actually he put, so like on paper, he put Social Pragmatic Communication Disorder, SPCD, which mm -hmm. like that. So that's like my legal, whatever diagnosis, but I still prefer the word Asperger's, which is what I was like informally diagnosed a little bit more informally mm -hmm. younger because it covers more things. So SPCD is literally just like communication, mm -hmm. but, um, and it's more like informal communication. Cause I write really well. Like I said, like I'm a minorly mm -hmm. published author, so I can write really well and I get, write good emails and you know, stuff like that. 
mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't cover the things of like jumpiness or mm-hmm. like, so like one of my, the only accommodation actually I have at work right now is that they tell me in advance for fire drills. Oh, so they don't okay. usually tell staff that, but mm-hmm. I have a legal document with them that they tell me that. Um, so stuff like that is not on SPCD. It's like the jumpiness or the mm-hmm. sensitivities to like touch or like food. I don't really have a lot of food sensitivities, but just that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I think Asperger's is more like an all-encompassing mm-hmm. word. So like if someone would ask, that would be what I say I have. But mm-hmm. um, the SPCD is like the legal diagnosis because I wanted it on paper for work. Um, mm-hmm. So that's worked out well um, for the most part, having a, having a paper diagnosis. Sounds like it would be helpful, especially so, for those things that could catch you off guard, yeah. like a fire drill. Okay. So at first it was like a big thing of choosing who I was going to tell. Yeah. And I would be really shy about it and I would work up the courage, like, who am I going to tell? And I talked to a few close friends about it. And um, after a while I was telling, I would tell someone and they'd be like, oh yeah, I know it's fine. And <laughs> that was like shocking to me. Yeah. To realize that this was not something that I got to choose who to tell. It mm-hmm. was like I was wearing it or like, I mean, like I was running around in my underwear, like, and everyone can see it. And it was like kind of embarrassing to be uh-huh. so vulnerable and realizing that I didn't have the choice of who to tell. People just knew if they had any experience with it, they just knew. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of a weird realization is that like, I don't, I don't necessarily get to tell people. It's not like and also probably weird for you saying that, you know, you had a lot of familiarity with it before and never saw like thought that was even a possibility for you. Yeah. It's weird that like people, even I've looked, I've talked back to high, uh, talked to my, I've, uh, I'm in contact with some of my high school teachers still and uh-huh. I've asked them about it and they were like, yeah, we knew, like I knew, but I didn't, I assumed you knew, I didn't want to talk to you about it. And I thought, well, why didn't, did you think it was weird? I don't have an IEP. That's an individualized education plan that kids can have for either like gifted or special needs mm-hmm. or even like health impairments in school. Um, mm-hmm. And I never had that growing up. And my, I remember one of my teachers saying, no, you're doing fine in my class and like, you know, doing well in school. And so I just, mm-hmm. you know, knew how to interact with you. But yeah, it is weird to be like, oh, so people can tell this when they barely meet me, but I didn't know for 20 years. It's like a weird thing that I go through kind of phases of like really angry about. And then yeah. also just kind of like, okay, this is what it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm doing fine and I'm okay. Um, and then after, after a while, I decided I was going to post on like Facebook about it. And mm-hmm. so it was to my friends only, but it was still mm-hmm. like, you know, everybody has a bazillion Facebook friends that they've sure. had at one point in their life. Um, so that was deal. a really, yeah, it was a huge deal. I remember like, I was like lying on the floor. I, this is a thing lying on the floor, yeah. <laughs> I was lying on the floor, but like, we've all been a, there. <laughs> yeah. Talking to a friend. I don't even just lie on the floor. Like if I'm sad, it's just like a thing I do. I don't know. I like lying on the floor. Okay. <laughs> it's comfortable, but I was like all so nervous and she, but I, I really wanted it to post it, but I also, I was really nervous. And so she, I was talking on the phone to her as I was posting it. She mm-hmm. was like, you're okay. You're okay. And of course it turned out fine. It was like very positive response. I got like a mm-hmm. hundred likes, which is like, a, I know for you on social media, you get like about whatever you're famous, <laughs> <laughs> but like, it was a huge deal of all these people saying, Oh, that's so great. And I'm glad you're doing so well. And from then on, like anything I've posted about it has been like really positive always been really positive nobody's ever mm-hmm. said I don't believe you or you're mm-hmm. using it as a crutch which is never anything I would want to come right. across and so this is sort of like some people when I was debating whether I wanted to do this this is like the most public thing I've ever done mm-hmm. and some, one of my friends put it interestingly she's like this is like a really good post-diagnosis like thing to do and you know like the biggest thing I've ever done um, yeah but that was a big decision too yeah well it's amazing too just how you say for so many years you felt like you're finding out that people sort of thought they knew, but didn't want to tell you. And you didn't really know and how that's been hard for you, but 
just being able to put it out there and start the conversation with people, I'm sure um, is really scary, but also now opens this conversation for people to be able to talk about it um, instead of it being something that's like maybe being noticed, but not talked about. Yeah. And I think also it's like really minor and also really major kind of depending on the situation. Like I have a very normal life. I live in my own house with my dog. Actually, this is a good time to picture my dog. Oh, she's not yeah, right it's there. Your dog. Okay. never mind. She's Aww. on the ground. There, there she, she is. is. <laughs> yeah. She's seven now. I've had her since right after college. Um, uh-huh. She was seven months old when I got her. So she's a sweetheart. Her name's Kona. <laughs> but um, like I have a pretty normal life for like a 29 year old woman. Like I have a job. I go to work. Um, you know, I have my, I go to the gym. I mm-hmm. have friends that I hang out with. Not, co- I mean, now that COVID's like over, yeah. you know, that of course <laughs> was weird, but I have like a lot of normal things about my life. And then also I have like some abnormal things about my life. Like mm-hmm. um, in the mornings when I first moved back to Albuquerque, um, like a year and a half ago, my mom started coming over in the morning. She wakes up really early. And so this was mm-hmm. not a big deal for her to come over at like 6.45 in the morning to mm-hmm. make sure one that I was out of, like I got up, not just mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to get up, but that um, like make sure I woke up and then like we are packed, we pack my lunch together. We make sure that mm-hmm. I have my gym bag ready. And then also when I leave, she takes the dog, my dog for a walk, which really, oh, my nice. parents are retired. And so that works uh-huh. out really well. But that's a little bit, maybe atypical that even mm-hmm. now a year and a half later, she still comes over every morning at six 45. And it, like, if I'm not out of bed yet, she rings the doorbell. Cause I have one of those blocker things. <laughs> she can't yeah. come in. So like occasionally yeah. my alarm's going and I'm not waking up. Uh-huh. She, so she'll ring the doorbell. But, you know, so, so stuff like that we've just done to, like, make my life easier. And I think that's kind of, like, always what my parents have done is instead of being like, Sarah can't do something, like, what can we do to help Sarah have mm-hmm. a normal life? And it was always about, it was never, like, about anything other than just raise her as a normal person. And so I don't even consider myself disabled. Like, the fact that I'm, quote, unquote, legally disabled is, like, very foreign to me because mm-hmm. I wasn't raised as a disabled person. I was just raised as, like, a kid. Mm-hmm. And even now, like, I'm just a teacher mm-hmm. whose mom comes over in the morning and helps her get ready. But like, I go to work mm-hmm. and I do my job. Um, I know. I wish my mom lived close enough to do that. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when I was out living out of town, we actually talked on the phone in the morning. So that's always been kind of a thing. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Have there been any other ways that you think just being more aware of, uh, you know, having the diagnosis and being more aware of how it maybe affects you that you've made changes just to make your life easier or to to sort of help yourself be more successful? I think we were already doing it. Like I was and my family was, and we just mm-hmm. didn't have a name for it. So like mm-hmm. my dad, when he comes, he's so cute. Cause my, well, there's like corners in my parents' house that you can mm-hmm. kind of bump into someone if you're coming around the corner. And so even mm-hmm. now, like as ever since I was little, he's coming around the corner and he hears me, he goes peekaboo. And it's just a <laughs> cute little thing that he does to like, I yeah. won't, he won't scare me when he's coming around the corner. Yeah. So I think we've already, our family has already adapted. You naturally to, did it, yeah. I mean, and everyone has their things that they're, they need to adapt to. And so I think we've, we had, I was already raised that way. Like we already mm-hmm. just did all this different stuff that mm-hmm. wasn't very major. It was just little stuff like that to make me more successful. And I think mm-hmm. every family does that for their children is just makes minor modifications to their family life mm-hmm. to help their kid be successful. So I don't think there was anything new. I think it was more like a validation of, okay, it's fine that we do this. Like it's, Cause if you're 29 and your mom comes over every morning, it's sort of like, Oh my gosh, what's wrong with me. But when you have kind of like, okay, well, this is really helpful to me. And mm-hmm. I actually have a diagnosis. Well, like nobody questions it. Nobody cares. But if they were to, I'd be like, I have a diagnosis. Like I have a reason for this. You know? <laughs> I mean, for one thing also, she yeah. just says it's fun. My mom was out of town uh, last weekend. And so my dad came on Friday and Monday 
And uh-huh. he was like, oh, we have fun at Sarah's house in the mornings. <laughs> it was like a fun thing for them because they're retired. And so they're yeah. a little bit bored sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but I think like my whole life has been like all of us figuring it out. And so the mm-hmm. name of the diagnosis wasn't like a, a changing point for that. Mm-hmm. It was more for you to get the accommodations at school or at work that were at helpful. Work, yeah, that was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know also you have been doing CrossFit and that has also had an impact on you. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into it and what your, you said, obviously you were really active growing up playing different sports, but what was your background before you started CrossFit and then how did you get into it? So I started soccer at five, like the typical kindergartner, you know, with the, mm-hmm. the swarm of bees that go around, yes. but um, trying to figure out know, which way to run on the field. <laughs> yeah. They actually, this is really cute. We were the blue ladybugs. And so oh. my mom, I think my mom's the one who did this, had a poster board and it had an arrow and literally like, I, now that you mentioned that, that's really funny. Yeah. And she'd switch she'd it. You which time, way to you know? go. <laughs> yeah. They actually had that for kindergarten soccer. That's great. So I played a little bit. I played on a school team in seventh and ninth. And then um, I played intramurals in college a little bit. Um, and then also basketball was a big one for me. So those are my main two sports, soccer and basketball. Okay. And then um, I worked out like at the gym in college and I mm-hmm. knew a little bit, I, I knew a pretty good amount of it. And then I'd also been in kinesiology. And so I was, I knew a little bit about like health and fitness. And I was, it was so funny to me to meet someone and was talking about the activity center, which is the gym. And mm-hmm. they would be like, Oh, I've never been there. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm there every day. Like, how do you, <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I had that included that was included, um, in my, like, like as a student, I could go f- quote unquote free. And so I had heard of CrossFit maybe a couple of years into college, but thought that that was kind of silly to go pay for a gym membership when I already had this. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until I was out of college that I was, I remember it was the weekend or like the week I was turning 23 and my mom was in town and I was like, I thought that was, that was a really weird birthday to me. Cause I thought by 23, like I'm a college graduate and what am I doing with my life? Cause at that point I was working at an after school program part-time mm-hmm. and I was doing prerequisites to start my master's degree, but I didn't really have a career going yet at 23. And mm-hmm. so I was kind of moping around and we talked about this CrossFit and we, we knew where it was. And we like, I lived in Las Cruces, New Mexico. So there were only like two at the time. Okay. Um, so there was one, maybe five minutes from my house. And so my mom was like, let's go sign you up. And I'm, but <laughs> that's kind of what it took of like, yeah, let's yeah. sign you up. And so, um, we went take someone and, to, to give you the the push that you need a lot of times, I think, yeah, especially like for CrossFit. I, and it wasn't, I fit right in as far as the athletics. Like I had an athletic background. I knew, mm-hmm. I mean, I knew, I learned new weightlifting things like clean and jerk and all those kind of things, like all the different weightlifting things that were new to me, but the concept of working out was not new to me. And the concept mm-hmm. of like pushing really hard was not new to me. Um, but yeah, I think I was just scared to go in. Like I didn't know anybody. And so my mom came down and, and got me signed up and that's when I started crossfit officially and that really worked out well for me because i i had been paying to go to that college gym even though i wasn't a college student anymore but so i was already paying and so it was fine to switch because it wasn't like i had it free anymore Mm -hmm. what attracted you to crossfit and then what did you think once you started doing it i think i wanted like i really so i really liked a couple things like that it's hard not just like going for a walk because that's not good enough for me is what i found like i need this hard exercise where you're like dying and then afterwards i Mm -hmm. feel really really good. Um, I liked that it was hard. I liked that or liked and like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have goals. Like I want to, I'm really close to a strict pull-up, um, like stuff like that's the big one right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so all these different things that I can do rather than worrying about like people on an elliptical, yes. like, if they like it, that's good for them. But for me, that's really boring to just be there with no goals for the day. And so I really like that it's hard and that I have goals. And then also that there's like set times that you go 
-hmm. not that you can't go to a different class, but you can like, you go and you do the workout and you go home and someone is mm -hmm. telling you what to do. Like they've already planned it for you. You don't have to come into the gym and say, what am I going to do today? Cause that's, mm -hmm. I, don't I don't have that brain power for that. You know, after work, I'm like, okay, I already know what the workout is and I'm going to do that. So I like, yeah, I like that it's hard. And then I have goals. Mm -hmm. um, those are some of the things. And then I like, that I, I feel the same way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what impact? Oh, go ahead. I was just saying like this thing of where doctors say like, cardiovascular exercise three times a week but it's like for me I and I used to kind of do that like I was in high school and college I would do the mm -hmm. I would do cardio for 30 minutes and then I would do some weightlifting and mm -hmm. I like kind of how it's combined and there's just all this it's always something different it's just been really fun um mm -hmm. it's I feel like it's sports for grown-ups like yeah it's because at sports we they'd be there with the clicker and like yeah there was so much pressure and so now it's slightly less pressure because I don't let myself get to that I used to be so nervous to go to like when I was a junior in high school, I started having stomach problems that I thought mm -hmm. was like I was having some disease and um, I was getting ready for those tryouts. Um, mm -hmm. And this was back at that big school that you I had to make JV as a junior or get cut. Um, those were the only options. You couldn't be on C team again. And so I was working so hard going to the after school workouts. And like I was I thought I was enjoying it, but I was making myself sick, like physically mm -hmm. sick. And yeah, then all so much stress. I, yeah, it all went away when I got cut. And mm -hmm. so that's one thing I've realized with CrossFit is that I'm never going to push myself so hard that I'm scared to go. So like, I'm never going to be any kind of elite person. And I'm fine mm -hmm. with that because not that I could anyway, probably, but like, I'm not going to go like 10 seconds faster just to make that time. If it's going to make me nervous to come to the gym. Mm -hmm. And so when right, I remembering, like, yeah, like why you're doing it, right. You're doing it to be healthier and happier. And so if it starts to become something that's adding more stress and not yeah. allowing you to be healthier and happier, then you're and I do push myself like I have that in me already mm -hmm. and then with the music and the environment I'm already oh, going yeah. fast and looking at other people like oh maybe I want to catch them but also mm -hmm. if I feel like I'm dying I'm gonna take a breath I'm not gonna push mm -hmm. so hard that I it becomes stressful because I don't mm -hmm. want to be scared to show up mm -hmm. and so you know if I'm the last one to finish or like the other day I did an rx which I'm at this awkward horrible stage <laughs> where I can do every most things rx but I like yeah not they just fast. take a lot longer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm finally able to do most of the stuff RX. Yeah. But yeah. you know, like it's fun for me to be like, Oh yeah, I did it RX. Yeah. It took me yeah. a while. Um, mm -hmm. But I just don't want it to become scary because that mm -hmm. was just, I wanted to take away stress from my life, not add to it like basketball was doing. Yeah. It sounds like a really healthy approach to it. What, um, what impact has it had on you? Um, whether it's physical gains, like you said, you're almost at your strict pull up or like mental, emotional, um, changes that you've noticed? Well, I think it's been a continuation of what I've already had, like growing up with sports. And I think I didn't realize how much sports were important to my like steadiness mm -hmm. of mentally, like mentally kind of physically steady too, like not being mm -hmm. so jumpy and not being mm -hmm. things like that. Um, I don't think I really realized it until I was older. And as a grown up, you have to go do your own workouts. You don't just have scheduled practices. And mm -hmm. so that's when I realized, oh, if I don't work out, I don't feel good. And I feel mm -hmm. like either up or down, but either way, I think it keeps me really steady um, mm -hmm. and able to handle things in life because of the hard, intense workouts. Mm -hmm. Physically, like my blood numbers are all really good right now. I had some, like mildly high cholesterol for a little while. It runs in my mm -hmm. mom's family, I think. She even had it when she was 20 and was running, you know, seven, mm -hmm. like, she was, she would run 17 miles for fun on the weekends, which I, oh my crazy, goodness, but she loved it. <laughs> Sounds crazy to me too. Yeah. She loves it. But, um, so like now my, I, this, my most recent one, my numbers were, were good. And so I think like, that's kind of physically, like it keeps me, it keeps my weight mm -hmm. under control. It keeps my blood numbers good. Like I don't have at the moment 
Like mm-hmm. a lot of people, I'm only 29, but people already have, dis- I mean, you know, that yeah. as a doctor, like people already have all these diseases going on mm-hmm. and, you know, so I'm able to prevent all that. And then I, but I think mentally too, it just keeps me so level and, mm-hmm. and steady. Um, my mom, when I was little thought I might have bipolar because mm-hmm. I was very like up and down. Like I feel the happy really strong. And then I feel mm-hmm. the sad, like world crashing down sad. Like I don't really do middle. Yeah. Everything is like really good or really bad usually. And yeah. So I think that the workouts really keep me more steady and able to handle things. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. And I also have met a lot of people like when I first moved back to Albuquerque and joined a new gym and I'm at another gym, but mm-hmm. like, those are my friends too. Not that mm-hmm. I necessarily see them outside of the gym. Like I do with mm-hmm. some of my other friends, like from high school, back from high school mm-hmm. um, or college that I have in town, but I see the same people all the time. And so it's also just like a way to make friends without having to schedule anything because I think that's really hard with friends of like scheduling something. And for Mm -hmm. this, it's just like, we're, we're there every day. Mm -hmm. It's already pre-scheduled. So that's really a fun time to see people. Absolutely. I've like made a point at work of, cause I've had issues in the past of like being too friendly with people Mm -hmm. of like very strict of like colleague friend. They're not Mm -hmm. the same person. I know some people are friends at work and for me, it just didn't work very well. Mm -hmm. And so this is a opportunity to have friends because at work I'm going to be respectful and nice, but I'm not going to be their friend because it just, Mm -hmm. it's too confusing. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, and then I know you also have had a long journey with sleep apnea and you are one of the people who has really stuck it out and, and tried to find the right treatment that works for you to be able to really, um, get the sleep that you need. And I think this is something I'd love to talk about because I, I know, especially working with patients who've been diagnosed with sleep apnea, it can be really frustrating when the first few things that you try are uncomfortable and then people just give up and never really get to the point where they're getting good sleep. So can you talk about that process, how you were diagnosed and and what the treatment process has been like? Well, so my grandpa has sleep apnea and so does my dad. So I've grown up, he doesn't live in town, but my, my grandpa doesn't live in town, but um, I've seen the machines, like I've seen it. So I was a little bit familiar with it already. When Mm -hmm. I was five, I had my tonsils out and I remember it was a big thing of, they wanted me to be five. And so when I was like four and a half in pre-K, we were doing all these other mitigation strategies to try to help me breathe better at night because Mm -hmm. they, for some reason, they really wanted me to be five. And I remember it was this big thing when I turned five and it actually Mm -hmm. happened a couple of days after I turned five, but I had my tonsils out. Um, So that helped my sleep breathing a little bit. And then I think for many years though, I think in high school and college, I wasn't sleeping well and didn't think anything of it. I just thought like people are tired. This is normal. Mm-hmm. And I also think I thought um, that I was like depressed or overwhelmed um, or scared. And that's why I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. And I would kind of sarcastically tell my parents, I don't sleep at night. Like it was sort of like I was mad, but I was also not really literally meaning you're it. exhausted. Yeah. And, yeah. So, I mean, I missed school. I missed work. I missed classes like it's kind of had a toll on me and mm-hmm. I didn't really realize it I thought I was maybe just like it was like a character flaw sort of like why can't you wake up in the morning like everyone else mm-hmm. and when I moved back to Albuquerque I was finally like okay I was gonna go see my dad's sleep doctor and I had the sleep study done so that was only a year and a half ago mm-hmm. and I did have enough episodes I was waking up like 20 times an hour wow. which is or 20 and I don't know how they not waking up but like stop mm-hmm. breathing for a significant mm-hmm. amount of time something like my, my score was 20 something, whatever the score mm-hmm. is. And so they wanted me to do a BiPAP, which is like, so CPAP is continuous positive airway pressure. And then BiPAP is like different pressure for in, I know you know this, but like for inhale, it's more pressure and for exhale, less pressure. And mm-hmm. it helps people like feel more comfortable that you're not mm-hmm. exhaling against so much pressure. 
So it took me probably like about a year from the time I got the thing to now I really do sleep all night with the thing and have Mm -hmm. hundreds on my score. There's an app and I go check it (laughs) every morning. I go check it. And you're always shooting for the perfect score. Yeah. I finally got my first hundred, like within the last couple of months. So there was the mask and then there was the pillow. And then there was, cause I've used um, chiropractor pillows before, like those neck support ones. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't working with the CPAP or the the mask. Mm -hmm. It would break the seal or something. And so I finally figured out that one of these pillows I already have works and it still gives me that neck support. And then there was the issue of the mask and that lying on my side, it has to be able to keep the seal. Mm -hmm. Um, So I tried several different masks and I'm finally on one that's a little, maybe like more flexible. I don't know. It just, I can lie Mm -hmm. on my side and the whole thing is moved over. So it's kind of on the side of my head or like on the side of my face and it still keeps the seal. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's just the thing of like tolerating having air blowing in your face while you're sleeping. And I'm just a sensitive person in general. Um, and there was chin straps, which I didn't end up needing, but they, some of the models need a chin strap so that your mouth stays shut. So for mine, it goes over my nose and mouth. And I was actually asking the doctor, like, is, cause my dad uses one that just goes over his nose and mm-hmm. he has a chin strap. And then I was asking the doctor, is it ideal that I eventually want to get to nose only? And he says, you know what we say? The right mask is the one the patient will wear. Mm-hmm. So he said, no, it's fine. Yeah. So it took me about a year of just being so mad at this thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was, I'd wear it for an hour and not be asleep and be like, screw this and, you know, take it off Mm -hmm. and go to sleep. And I don't know, it just, I knew it would eventually happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the key was just seeing it as like a long-term thing. So Mm -hmm. I was on the phone or I was on a call with one of the nurse practitioners at the doctor I used to go to. And she was like, she was kind of dramatic like you know you could die if you don't get going with this and I was like lady I'm doing my best like (laughs) I'm really trying to see this as a long-term thing because I'm 29 and I'm getting it under control now Mm -hmm. so that I won't have this so it wasn't just about like okay when we go back because I've been virtual all year for school and it wasn't just like okay when we go back to work I want to be able to go to work like if I didn't have it by now I would have kept trying because Mm -hmm. I know this is going to be the rest of my life it's not like a fix for the next month. And so that's Mm -hmm. really what I saw it as was like, this is a lifelong thing that Mm -hmm. I'm going to have major problems in 10 or 20 years if I don't do this now. Well, that's very proactive and um, smart and patient of you to go through that whole process. Because for now I don't have side effects. Like I'm just Mm -hmm. tired. That's it. Mm -hmm. But you know, eventually when you're 40, 50, whatever, you start getting all these other health conditions that come along with it. And so Mm -hmm. I knew heart disease, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I knew I needed to deal with it now. And I was okay in my mind of like, this might take a really long time. My dad, I asked him how long it took. And he said, oh, three nights. And I was like, oh my gosh, who are you? <laughs> and so, but over time he learned how normal it is that he was yeah. abnormal probably for it to take yeah. him only three nights. Yeah. And he's fine with this thing blowing air in his face. It's just not, there's no world in which it's normal for a human to have air <laughs> blowing in their face with a mask oh, on their face sleeping. to sleep. That's just yeah. not normal. And so you have to retrain your body on what's normal to sleep with. Mm -hmm. And now that you've found a solution that works, how do you feel? How does, how is your sleep compared to where you were before? The doctor said my numbers are fine. I was thinking that they might've been too high because I was getting like three or four events per hour and the events, I don't exactly know how they measure them, but I think it's if you stop breathing for 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, just anyone on the street who doesn't have sleep apnea might get two events per hour. That's normal for people to have Mm -hmm. a slight disruption in their sleep. And it's fine. And so he said, you know, those numbers are fine. I'm getting hundreds on the score. So I was saying, oh, darn. So it's not going to get any better. And he said, well, maybe you need more hours because mm-hmm. I thought 
I used to want to sleep like 10 hours. And Mm -hmm. now I was thinking, oh, I have this magic machine. I don't, I can stay up late. And -hmm. it's not like that. And so for Mm -hmm. now, my thing is I need to wear the mask and go to bed early because Mm -hmm. I still need like nine or 10 hours probably of sleep. I have a stressful job. I work out Mm -hmm. almost every day. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I'm not one of those people that can sleep five hours and be fine. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the next step for this is that I'm still a little tired some mornings, but I think it's because it, it's been determined that it's because of the number of hours of sleep because I am getting good sleep, but seven hours is not enough for me. Mm-hmm. Do you notice a change in your energy or how you feel during the day? Kind of. I'm still like a little sleepy because I think I need to sleep more hours. And so that's mm-hmm. like the next step. I don't feel like I got hit by a truck in the morning though. I just used to feel so tired. That's a huge improvement. I I mean, I just, I feel like a little (laughs) sleepy and he was trying to explain to me too, the difference, the doctor was explaining between sleepy and tired. Uh And I guess sleepy is like, you'll fall asleep randomly. Like when you're driving or, and I've never had that. I've never had an issue, even when I wasn't sleeping well of falling asleep in a recliner when I'm watching a show or like falling asleep driving that would not, or fall, you know, I would never fall asleep. And so, um, he, we've determined that the word we have to use is tired. Mm-hmm. If I'm, if I'm, I'm tired, but I'm not sleepy. So I didn't really Got realize it. there was a difference with that. Got it. Well, I'm glad you stuck it out and that you're still working on it because obviously sleep is super important. And I think good for other people to hear, you know, it may take a year, but yeah. Get, you can get and there. also I'm not the typical patient, like for people watching on video, maybe they can tell, but like I'm 29 female and not obese. Mm-hmm. And people think of sleep apnea as elderly man with a massive beer gut like it's the people Mm -hmm. you see on those weight loss shows or something that have the sleep apnea machine Mm -hmm. and so I'm actually in a in a Facebook support group for women with these machines because it's like people don't even realize that it's really common with women and Mm -hmm. um you know you don't have to be obese you can be pretty healthy Mm -hmm. otherwise and there's so much um to do with just the shape of our jaw and so many other different factors that go into you know, whether or not we're able to breathe properly when we sleep. So there's also two kinds, there's central and obstructive. And this new doctor's not sure I even have central, but central is where mm-hmm. your, your brain forgets to tell your lungs to breathe. So it's like a mm-hmm. neurological problem. Mm-hmm. And then obstructive is where you're like trying to breathe and it won't go. Mm-hmm. So he's not sure he's going to kind of review my old study, but he was thinking originally I was diagnosed with both of the, like a mix of those. Okay. Um, all right. Well, as we get ready to start wrapping up, there's three questions I ask everyone at the end of the podcast, but, um, before we do, is there any advice that you have for others, either with sleep apnea who are frustrated by the process or, um, who may have been diagnosed themselves with a developmental disorder or have a child that maybe is in the process of being diagnosed or diagnosed? The big thing I think my parents did really well, even though we didn't have a diagnosis was that they just raised me like a normal kid. And Mm -hmm. therefore, as an adult, I never thought anything else. Mm -hmm. And so I think you see like, I mean, this is maybe kind of a personal preference of whether parents want to do this, but you see these blogs of like kids with autism and it's like every move they make is on a blog. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, I don't have children. And when I was growing up, we didn't have social media. So I think like today's parents have a whole new thing to figure out of what to post on social media. Mm -hmm. But to me, like a child having a tantrum or a child having a bedwetting problem or a child having a problem at school it's not that you're embarrassed of them. You're not. And you would seek out friends if you need support, but it's not something that you share to everyone. And it's not, again, not because of, not because you're embarrassed of your child, but because you want to protect their dignity Mm -hmm. because they're a person, you know, even if they're four or whatever, even if they're a baby, they're a Mm -hmm. a human being who is going to be a person. I mean, I know they are a person. They're going to be a grown up someday (laughs) and the internet is forever. And so, you know, I'm so glad that when I was, you know, I was nine and having meltdowns at home, And, you know, my parents worked on it, but it wasn't like 
like most people don't know that about me because it wasn't like, oh yeah, I remember when your parents told me about that. Like mm-hmm. we didn't have social media back then. And so for me, I think protecting the privacy of the child is really important because it opens their prospects as an adult, not to have this looming over them of like, mm-hmm. oh wow, you had this issue when you were five. And it's not mm-hmm. even just a developmental disability. It's anything your kid is going through that it just doesn't belong on for public. You can tell your mm-hmm. family, you can tell close friends. And again, it's not about embarrassment. It's about protecting the child's dignity. And I think my parents always did that. They never complained about me in public. And I just really turns me off when I see parents complaining about their child. Like we get it. Your child is two and they're screaming, or we get it. Your child is 10 and 10 year olds are, you know, annoying sometimes like whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever you're going through. I think complaining about your child is just, so I think, and I know it can be really hard. I know a lot of people have children with much more severe issues than I had, but I think there's a, there needs to be a balance between sharing for support and also protecting the privacy of the child because they're going to be an adult someday and mm-hmm. you want to keep those prospects open for the, for their future. Mm-hmm. And so I think beautiful. for yourself too, um, is that like, I'm not defined by this. It's like a word on paper because I wanted accommodations at work. Like that's literally why I got it yeah. is that yeah. I wanted like this fire drill thing. I was not going to be a teacher because of fire drills until I found out that one, I have this condition and two, mm-hmm. that they can tell me, I didn't know that. And so growing up, I was so scared of fire drills that I would like during silent reading, I remember I'd go sit by the door because you could sit Mm -hmm. wherever you want because I could get out faster. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, why would I sign up possibly to go sign up to be in a school because they have fire drills there and other workplaces don't do fire drills. Like you could, you know, I don't think. Right. And so (laughs) at least definitely not as often. Yeah. So Um, I think um, that's the same thing with an adult is like, you're just a person mm -hmm. and make your life, rearrange your life to be as normal and as successful Mm -hmm. as you want to be, which is kind Mm -hmm. of, I think what I've done over time is that I live kind of near my parents. They're available to help. I have my own place. Like I've found a job that works for me. Um, I just have my life set up in a way that I can be successful and I'm not expecting myself to be like, Oh, let's be an airline pilot. Like that sounds like something, you know, it's just like, that's not (laughs) realistic for me. And I, it's not something I'm interested in. Yeah. I think finding like your niche, what is this word? Niche. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And figuring out like where you can be a productive member of society, even if you have some kind of disability, because like there's a bazillion jobs out there. Some of them are working from home. Some of them you go somewhere. And so I think everyone can be a productive member of society. And I think that should be the expectation is that every person can contribute something to society because they can. And I think sometimes we don't see that and we think, oh, well, they can't do anything. And I think that's really sad. Yeah, I love that. And I love, I love your story because I think it, it highlights one of these sort of how diagnoses can be these double-edged swords. Like on the one side, it can be so helpful, one, just to help things make sense and to understand what, what strategies might be helpful for someone that they haven't figured out yet and to be able to provide accommodations going through life that can help you be able to do the job that you want to do or do the things that you want to do and not be overly affected by something that's not a big deal. Like getting notified about fire alarms before they happen, which is a, you know, an easy enough thing to do um, for someone. And so there's that, but then on the other hand, there's just like anything being labeled with a certain diagnosis or disease can also sometimes have a negative effect by sort of like boxing people in or thinking, like you said. That about- was my ba- parents' biggest fear of like why they didn't pursue it is what they've said, mm-hmm. is that they didn't want that for, mm-hmm. for me. And I think, you know, like everyone has, we're all very individual and everyone has things that are more challenging or less challenging for them and figuring out how to navigate life in a way that works for them. But, and so I just love the way that your, you know, your parents approach it by doing all these things, just, they just want to see you succeed no matter what. And almost, 
doing these things naturally as they came, just trying to help you be successful. Um, and then you being able to use a diagnosis later in life to be able to get the combinations that you need at work, but not being defined by it. I think that's really amazing. Yeah. I think that's, that's what people could see it as, is it's a, the getting a diagnosis is a tool to help you. And I think also like, if it's not going to be a tool to help you, maybe you don't need a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You know, some people have such minor things that you don't have to diagnose everything. You don't have to have it all on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if it could be used as a tool to get services or assistance or whatever, then it's could be worthwhile. Kind of have to weigh the pros and cons. And for me, it got to the point where I thought, okay, well, I want this to be able, I want to be able to get accommodations at work. So mm-hmm. I need to get this really thorough evaluation so that you can sign off on it, you know, and get, mm-hmm. get what I wanted at work, which is not, you know, like you said, it's, I do the regular job. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. somebody has to come babysit me at my classroom. I teach just fine. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. All right. Well, three questions I ask everyone at the end of the podcast, what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? So I kind of sorted them into like the physical things and some other stuff. So Mm -hmm. physical things, I think um, a big one is water. And I realized that like back Mm -hmm. in like second grade or third grade, it was when I started bringing a water bottle to school because I realized I just need a lot of water. And I think I need more water than most people I drink. Well, I don't Mm -hmm. know. I'll show you this thing. I mean, this is like, oh, look at I that. like I, my dad bought me this for my birthday. This is massive, yeah. <laughs> massive cup. And then he had these water bottles at work. So I think like maintaining that helps uh-huh. me feel really good. And then I go to the chiropractor, I get massages, um, just stuff that you might think like, oh, that's a waste of money. And for me, it like really makes me feel good. I used to have headaches. And in middle school, mm-hmm. I was being evaluated by a neurologist for headaches. And then our family friend was like, oh, you need to try a chiropractor and actually referred us to a specific one. And mm-hmm. that kind of solved the problem. So I'd way rather that, you know, yeah, um, that's great. And I think like ec- keeping track of my sleep and exercise and eating mm-hmm. and actually it really stresses me out if I've done all like I, it's almost like I have a checklist mm-hmm. and if I don't feel good, I'm like, which is it? And if I'm like, okay, I, okay, I didn't yeah. sleep well last night. Fine. You're allowed to be feeling bad today or something. <laughs> but if I have done all those things and still don't feel good, it really stresses me out because I'm thinking like, I did all the stuff I'm supposed to do. What's going on here. And that's pretty mm-hmm. rare though. I've gotten to the point where I feel good most days because I mm-hmm. like have this routine that I've figured out, you know, as a kid, you just, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I figured that out. And so that's things great. like traveling where I might not have full control over my sleeping, eating, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff. And then I start feeling weird and think, Oh, that's kind of stresses me out. But for mm-hmm. the most part, I'm able to keep those. Um, and then I think another one is the support network I've built up of mm-hmm. friends and family. And especially my parents are really supportive, but also having support people that aren't my parents is really important mm-hmm. to both them and me that I would have like people in my life other than my parents. So yeah. like people at CrossFit, my high school friends, some college friends, I have friends who don't live in town anymore, but we catch up a lot. And mm-hmm. people who have that same view of me of like, pushing me to do the things I want to do. Like with this podcast, everyone I asked was like, do it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, do you think that's a good idea? Do you think that's a good, like even like giving it a lending leading in question, like, don't you think that's a bad idea? No, we don't do it. <laughs> like, you know, so <laughs> having that right. kind of people, yeah. Like having the kind of people in my life who are going to push me to do things that are scary or that are mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. knowing that it's, and then if I said, should I go skydiving? You know, it might be like, no, you don't need to do that. You know, like they yeah. can weigh it with me and think like, <laughs> you don't want to go skydiving. Well then don't go skydiving. But right. like, you're a little hesitant about this podcast, do it. And mm-hmm. so every single person I talked to and I'd be like, you know, I'd ask them over and over, are you sure? And like a few <laughs> days later, you still sure? 
And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And I even had a friend who did video chatting with me. She lives um, where I used to live in Las Cruces, but she video chatted with me in advance to like think of what I wanted to say and yeah. how it was going to go. And everybody's like, do it. And so I think having that kind of support system where instead of being like, oh, you don't want to do it. Okay, don't do it. Because mm-hmm. I think there are those kind of people in the world who you can set up as your support system and then your support system is not very helpful. Right. That's so insightful and so smart because you do, you want people who care about you and want you to be your best, even if it's sometimes uncomfortable or sometimes hard. Yeah. And you need people you want to surround you yourself with those type of people. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And then the third thing I think is that like, I set, I sort of set myself like life up like a game or I don't know. I've heard the word gamification where mm-hmm. like in teaching or in any, maybe in medicine, you guys use it um, where everything is like a challenge or a game mm-hmm. or a reward. And I think I've kind of arranged my life like that. Like I track my food on my fitness pal and you know, I, I just all these different goals and things I have, mm-hmm. I think early on my parents realized like they would think back to, um, okay, how can we turn this into the kids earning something rather than the kids losing something. Mm-hmm. So instead of losing privileges, we'd earn special privileges, like going to a college basketball game with our dad mm-hmm. or like going to get a smoothie at the little, you know, like a $6 yeah. smoothie. So it was like every day we'd drive by it and they'd be like, no, because it's, you know, we're not going to get a $6 smoothie every day, but you know, it was like a special thing, little special things like that, that we were able to earn as kids. My yeah. mom actually meticulously cut out these stars out of um, construction paper and um, they had my initials and my brother's initials, so we couldn't steal each other's stars. And she like <laughs> cut like not just circles, wow, you know, actual yeah. stars. And they paid us in stars to just like do what you're supposed to do as a kid. And then Aww. we got to earn rewards from it. And you know, so I think I I try to do that in my own teaching and in my own life of setting. I know I'm successful at that. And so like right now I'm doing mm-hmm. this 2200 push up challenge in the month of April for Mission 22, which is like a veteran suicide organization. Oh, and I cool. actually realized if I want to do good pushups, it's going to take me into May because mm-hmm. I just can't do 73 good pushups. And I That's don't want to do snaky pushups. Yeah. yeah. But like, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to finish 2200 pushups. So just this different things like that, or like I did the CrossFit open or like mm-hmm. at work, I have evaluations and I get really excited about them and nervous and then they turn out well. But I think just having these goals of like, you know, I want to, um, right now I'm a level one teacher in New Mexico and mm-hmm. I'm having this back and forth with the district about whether I can, um, move up this year or not, because like, I didn't have the right number, whatever. There's like all these weird requirements, but like, I want to be a level two and then I want to be a level three and level Mm -hmm. three is the highest pay grade also. So I think I have like personal goals, professional goals, and just always having Mm -hmm. something to look forward to because, you know, life can be really mundane, like day to day. And so thinking like, oh, well, I'm doing this this weekend or like Mm -hmm. in a few months, I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that really gets me going each day. That's great. I want to add my dog to the support system too. Yeah. So I have my dog and I think also she makes me more social than I would otherwise be Mm -hmm. because I take her places. Like I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't ever get her certified as any kind. People are like, Oh, you can put a vest on her. And I thought, I don't want to do that. Like the emotional Mm -hmm. support vest that people just slap on their dog. It's kind of a controversy, (laughs) but I do take her a lot of places and people will come over and talk to her and then talk to me. And it's like a buffer. The good icebreaker. Yeah. In the world. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. That's so great. Everyone and like the dog that. park. I used to take her, especially when we lived in Las Cruces, I took her to the dog park all the time. And so uh-huh. I meet people there. So for me, she's like a, she's like a good, a good, int- a great good companion. To my life. Yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. What about one thing that you think would have an impact on your health, but that you're working on or something that you haven't started doing yet? Um, so I have been working, my mom and I signed up with a macro coach about a year ago and mm-hmm. my mom actually lost like 60 pounds. 
Wow. She's okay with me telling people that. We're, we're all really pr- proud of her. <laughs> we're and all proud like, of her now. Yeah. Well, yeah. And she's like really nonchalant about it. And we're like, go get new clothes, take pictures. And she's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I did a thing, whatever. But um, so she we was can really, all cheer like, for her now. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's 66 and she was 65 when we started. And she um knew that like, you can't change your age. You can't change a lot of things about you, but you can reduce your risk of even with COVID. Like COVID mm-hmm. hits, people don't want to talk about it, but mm-hmm. it hits people with diseases and it hits older people mm-hmm. so you know obesity is one of those and she was a little bit over she was never huge but like she was a little overweight she lost a mm-hmm. ton of weight so I worked with this lady too we signed up as a couple that she let us mm-hmm. pay as a couple and I've been just like less successful than she has because I'm not sticking with it and so I'm not mm-hmm. like medically overweight really but I think just like weighing less like whenever we do burpees or like the strict pull-up I want it makes like, the gymnastics easier for sure. Every, yeah. yeah. Like every pound you weigh, my mom used to say this had a really good attitude when I was little and you know, kids go through like chubby phases and slimmer mm-hmm. phases. And I was never like fat, but neither was my brother, but like we would go through chubbier or thinner phases and she'd be like, every pound you weigh, you have to carry on a soccer field. And that was always her mm-hmm. mantra. It was never like, no, you're fat. Like never. It was just, are you sure? Do we want to cut back on afternoon snacks? Because every, you know, you got to carry this whole body on the soccer field with you. Mm-hmm. And so I think, that would be helpful to me if I could kind of get with the program here on Mm -hmm. my macros and hit the goals. And it just has, it's just a matter of like focusing and making a plan. It's not that hard. I mean, her program is great. It's called bet. You can macro actually a little plug. Oh, Um, cool. He sees people out of the, out of state too. So like she, anybody can work with her. Her last name is bet you. That's her husband's husband's name. And so it's bet you can macro. And so, um, (laughs) we've liked, I liked working with her, but I think if I just, you just either do it or don't like, you got to kind of commit and, and do it right. Because being Mm -hmm. in a deficit is not like fun, Mm -hmm. but you know, you might get a little hungry, but you know, if I want to do it, just do it. I mean, it's not even that much weight, but just every pound you weigh for the strict pull up and burpees and box jumps and all this stuff, you know, it it just makes it easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're very, um, dialed in like you said with the gamification you're very dialed in in so many different areas of your life and I know my mom always used to say like you can't be perfect at everything so you do have to cut yourself some slack in some places and and just thinking about you know the the cool thing about macros is it's informational to do for a time period and just to learn and train your eye and just to be aware of what percentage of macronutrients you're eating and then it doesn't have to be a forever thing but it can definitely be educational. For her, for her, from the coach though, her name's Chelsea. She has been actually, she, her youngest child is seven. Mm-hmm. And that was when she first decided, like after her second child was born, like, wow, I really want to lose some weight. And she, mm. she figured this out. So for her, she tracks almost every day. So yeah, it can be on and off, but yeah, for me too, it's been learning about and my mom too, of eating more protein because I think yeah. I grew up in the nineties of like low fat. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we ate a lot, which my parents fed us really well, but it was all about low fat in the nineties. And now we're learning that actually fat is necessary for your body. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and getting enough protein is hard to do, especially just training your eye to know how much you need every day. So, yeah, I found a lot of ways though, not just like straight up eating meat. Like, um, there's, there's this brand carb master milk that mm-hmm. it's a Kroger brand and they've somehow voodooed it to take out a bunch of the carbs. And so <laughs> the regular milk is three grams of carbs and 11 protein per cup and it tastes like normal Uh milk so that's been really cool stuff like that figuring out (laughs) little tricks all right my last question is what does a healthy life look like to you Sarah so I was thinking of this and I think it's like a combination of two things and I think a lot of people see it one way or the other I think there's like objectively healthy and then like subjectively healthy Mm -hmm. so I think objectively healthy is like you have a healthy weight your scans are you're getting your screenings and scans and they're good Mm -hmm. you have good blood numbers like all that kind of like objectively healthy stuff 
mm-hmm. of like you're on paper a healthy person and then I think there's the subjective healthy of like you feel good you're happy you feel well um, on a day-to-day basis you know most mm-hmm. days you feel well and I think there's a lot of stuff in our culture that like people are one or the other yeah and people are like well I'm 500 pounds but I feel healthy and it's like well but that's also a risk factor of you know dying and so mm-hmm. I think, and then I think other people too are like, well, my blood numbers are fine. So I must be healthy. And I think having a combination of those two um, is what I would think of. Like, That's I beautiful. Think neglect, I don't think you neglect either side of that. And I think people pick one or the other sometimes. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, I've done around 200 episodes here and I've never heard someone answer it that way, but I love it because I think that it's so true that we can put focus on one or the other and you can have perfect numbers and all this stuff, but you can be really unhappy for one reason or another. And then, you know, what's the point, what's the reason for having your health Um, or on the other side of things, you can feel great, but maybe you have some brewing chronic diseases and it's going to catch up with you, you know, in a few years, and then you're not going to, you know, you're going to have all these challenges that are not going to, are going to get in the way of you doing the things you want to do with your life. So it's a balance between those two. And I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I think people just focus on one or the other, like, well, I feel good, I'm happy, I have friends, and that's all really important. But if you are going to die at 40, I mean, that's really sad. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, both are really important. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, this has been great. And I am so grateful that you listen to all of your friends giving you that good advice and push you to come. They're all going to listen. Story here. <laughs> they're all going to be listening. I was like, are you guys going to listen to my podcast? I'm like, of course. <laughs> of course. They're good friends. Um, but yeah, I know it's hard to talk about these things, like you said, and you don't necessarily want the whole world to know, but I think there's so many people who are going to benefit from hearing your story and your perspective. So I'm really grateful that you're willing to share it here. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you or someone you know has a story to share on a future episode of Pursuing Health, please write me at info at pursuing-health.com. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please also consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people.